Looking for stories that are fresh and new? Dark fantasy, humor, space exploration, time travel, cyberpunk, alternate history, and more. They're in the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future Anthology. From 24 award-winning authors and illustrators, plus art and writing tips, and bonus stories. L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future. Buy your copy at galaxypress.com, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Looking for something new in dark fantasy, humor, space exploration, time travel, alternative history? They're in the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future Anthology. Get the 10-volume box set with 159 stories and full-color illustrations plus 34 articles with writings and art tips. Get the UPRN discount, $125 for the entire box set. That's a $60 savings for that beautiful box set. L. Ron Hubbard presents Writers of the Future. Go to uprntalkradio.com, click on the link, and place your order. How are you tonight? Welcome to Into the Night with Sean Kelly and Tara. Um, right now, Tara's, you know, let's pray for Tara because she's going through some really hard times right now. And so she won't be able to make it. Just say so, uh, some prayers. You know, I would truly appreciate it. I know you didn't, Johnny. I'm glad you didn't forget about me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm very honored you're in the room. Um, but um, so... Wow, what a week, okay? Um, all kinds of crazy things going on in my life, uh, going out there in the world. And, I, you know, it, it is the month of October, and yes, it is the Halloween season. So, from what I understand, uh, there's a lot of good gory films on, good, you know, all kinds of good stuff going on TV, and, you know, looking at all the Halloween candies out there, and you know, all the horror movies that are going to be happening and all the costumes everyone's getting ready for. And uh, and next week, where I'm at in Pittsburgh, it's going to be cold. Yeah, it's going to be cold, thank God. Today we had 86, 87 degrees, and it's kind of hot up in my office right now, but um, that's okay. Um, so we're in October, and the October Awareness uh, month, but it's, it has to do with depression. So um, it's it's crazy that it just seems like every month comes up. Um, you know, it, it seems like somehow I can get in into the awareness, like the depression and stuff like that. It had it, um, this last week it was really really tough on me. Um, all kinds of crap going on in my head, and uh, you know. And, and, you know, it's crazy because I really try to work on my depression and stuff like that. And, you know, it's kind of hard, but I don't know. But I'm going to get through this. Uh, we're going to have a good show tonight. Um, uh, we are on 
UPRN Talk Radio 105.3 New Orleans, 107.7 Mississippi. Um, And sit back, enjoy. We're here for two hours. Um, Hello, May. Good to see you, hon. Good to see you. And so how was everybody else's week? Everybody else's week was pretty good. I hope so. Uh, but don't forget, at the end of the show tonight, I'm going to pull three more cards for everybody. So, um, you know, the animal medicine cards and see what happens. And, and if anybody was here listening to last week's show and you happen to have, you know, you were there and, and looked at those animal cards I pulled for you last week. If you want to share about it, please do in the chat room. Now, the, without further ado, okay. Uh, my guest tonight is a very good friend of mine. Um, he is the co-host of the Church of Mabus, which is on Friday night. I want to say uh, he'll tell us eight to nine on Friday night, something like that. I don't know, but he is a co-host of the Church of Mabus, and every now and then you can catch him on news on the flip side with. Uh, Joe Montaldo on Friday nights from 10 to 1. And without ever, without ado, I am going to bring in my friend, Jay McNichols. Hey, Jay, welcome. How's it going? Great. Now, now that we've got the show going <laughs> and, you know, all this stuff is out. So um, far, no hiccups, but there is Mercury Retrograde up there still. So, Oh, is it? That's right. Isn't that until the 16th? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, something to like 16th. Yeah, let's see. What do you think of Mercury in retrograde? I, you know, to be honest, all it is is just from us, from the point of view on the ground is we look up and it looks like the planet Mars is going the opposite direction. But everyone assigns every sort of bad luck thing to it. So, you know, your coffee mm-hmm. tastes bad. It's Mercury retrograde. Your computer starts acting up. It's Mercury retrograde. So it, it's just... Uh, I, I guess for the paranormal guys now, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a paranormal catchphrase anymore. I don't, I don't think there's any actual negative effects from it, but you know, who knows? I, there's no way to measure it. So <laughs> I, you know what, there are times that I truly believe Mercury is when it is in much retrograde. I had a lot of crazy stuff happen. And the big one was I used to make important decisions in retrograde, and man, they would just fall through. So I learned my lesson. Yeah, I, I think it's just the same as like you know the the full moon on a Friday night. You know, it's it, it it's just coincidence that how many however many bad things happen happen during retrograde. I just uh, I, I don't know. I so honestly in. And I do this whenever I know, because my friends are telling me, Sean, retrograde coming up. I'll kind of like just say, okay, I'm not going to buy nothing electronic. I'm not going to make no major decisions. Hey, Cindy Mitch, good to see you, hon. Good to see you. Um, And I don't make no decisions, and I don't buy no electronics. I don't buy no cars or whatever. And I just let it pass. I smooth sail, you know. The only time I go on my computer during retrograde is when I go and do my shows, you know. 
So it's kind of yeah. funny, like yeah. So, so um, Jay, uh, my people, you know, my viewers and listeners, tell us about yourself. Well, uh, let's see. I started uh, looking into the paranormal probably when I was about eleven. Uh, 1972-73, Hurricane Agnes came through the area. Um, I was in Maryland at the time, and it cut off power on the eastern seaboard to most parts for a couple of months. And so we were without power for about almost a month, three weeks, four weeks. And uh, so what do you do when you're a kid and you have no electricity and the gutters are full of water? You either go outside and you swim in the gutter or you, you do stuff in the house until you're bored to tears. So we did everything we could ever do on those weeks. And finally, like my parents had boxes and boxes of books in the basement, most of which they lost, but the ones that they saved, we started looking through them. And I found Eric von Daniken's uh, chariots of the gods. And she's, I must've been, it would have been six or seven, seven or eight, somewhere in that age range when I found that book. And uh, I thought, huh, well, that's cool. There's a, there's a, there's a rock in this book with gears on it. And I thought to myself, that's an unusual thing. Uh, but I'm eight. So what does an eight-year-old kid with a do with a book about ancient history? You toss it over your shoulder, right? <laughs> yeah. So the ne next couple of years go by, about nine, 9, 10, 11 now, I, I find the book again, uh, and then I read it. And so from that point on, I've been off and on investigating. Uh, not some, I don't really look so much into the ghost and, and, and goblin-type aspect of paranormal, but... Uh, cryptids and, and aliens and UFOs I've been looking at fairly steady for, I mean, you guys can do the math. My math is terrible. I was 11, I'm 56. That's how long I've been doing it. <laughs> oh, wow. And um, yeah. did you do a lot of investigations? No, like I said, just a kid starting off. So um, mostly what I did was just research, either through a book uh, whether I found a really unique book at the at the library or a book at the bookstore, um, but mostly uh, documentaries. Uh, I've, I've seen just about every documentary there is on UFOs. I have most of them on DVD right now, uh, and there's a few that I tried to get my hands on but never could. Um, so we, we can fast forward a few years when I'm in college in, in Savannah, Georgia. I was working at a place called Real Collections, and it, I believe it was a, an offshoot of music and um, music and movie offshoot of Sam Goody, uh, his, that, that, that music and, and art company. Uh, but anyway, so we were we were expecting a new um, uh, a DVD and I forget uh, I forget what month it was. It was it was in the summer, May, June, July. Uh, and this this UFO documentary was supposed to come out and all the all the stuff came out on a Wednesday night. So we got our shipments in on a Tuesday night. So that Wednesday night, we closed the store. We have an hour or so we could put the new stuff out on the shelves for people to pick up. So I was off that Tuesday, but I was working that Wednesday that, that I would be able to pick up my new DVD. And it was called uh, uh, UFOs Above Top Secret. And I don't remember who produced it, but allegedly it was supposed to have the same footage that Rod Serling's documentary in the, in the 80s or 70s had. Uh, the footage of a, a UFO coming down on McMurdo Air Force Base, which was at that time Edwards in the 1950s. Okay. Uh, so we're supposed to have the live footage of this alien craft landing on the tarmac in uh, Edwards, Edwards Air Force Base in the 1950s. Aliens come out, they meet with the Joint Chiefs staff, they go into a hangar base or a hangar building, and then 
this doesn't it's not a two-hour video it's just them getting out of the air and then then there's another quick shot of them coming back out of that building with joint chief staff shaking hands getting on their spaceship and flying away um they promised it to rod serling on his video i forget the name of it but if you ever watched any ufo documentaries the one that's uh narrated by rod serling he was supposed to have that footage too but at the last minute the uh, the army pulled the uh pulled the plug on it and in his video rod serling all they could do was to put up the um the storyboards of how they were going to film or how they're going to put this uh this footage onto the the end of their film uh so the same thing happened with this thing only with this movie uh armed fbi gentlemen actually came to the store and i wasn't there that evening like i said i was off but armed gentlemen fbi gentlemen in suits and ties came to the store right as they closed at like 10 to 9 or 10 to 10 whatever time it was that we closed uh, waited for the gates to come down, and they took every box, every DVD, every crate that had that movie in it with them to wherever they went with it. And this Seriously? was in the 90s. Seriously, really? yeah, wow. country wood. I'm sure. I'm sure a couple of people um, got theirs. Might have gotten theirs early. Might have. They might have. A few might have slipped through the uh, the gauntlet. But uh, yeah, I mean, the entire. I don't know how many DVDs, but countrywide from Alaska to Florida, just scooped up by a. Uh, NSA men in black types. What do you think of the men in black? Do you, do well, they I think exist? there's two different kinds. Um, you got uh, the NSA CIA type. That's Those are humans. And then you got the ones who are allegedly um, either Arcturians or Pleiadians. Um, kind of mostly, they, they pass for humans, but I mean, if you were to examine them with uh, Dr. McCoy's little blue, blue, blue thingy, you would say, oh, this man's a Klingon, Spock. <laughs> so uh there's there's the alien type men in black and then there's the human type men in black and both are i think both has sinister you know ulterior motives but do you think they work together i probably not okay i wouldn't think so the the the, the, the men in black alien story that i know about about the at least the uh Arcturian or the Pleiadian type aliens is uh, is with Gene Roddenberry and, and the Council of Nine back in the you know the late sixties when he was writing for the second season of Star Trek he, he kind of hit a hit a wall and it's, it's alleged that um, a, a group of or one or two or three Men in Black types visited him at his studios on the back lot of Paramount which was where Desilu Studios were. Um, and if you don't, if anyone doesn't know who Desilu Studios is, that's uh, Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball Studios. They're the ones who really got the ball rolling for Star Trek. Um, anyway, so they visited uh, him on his in his offices there, and they told him, "Hey, you know, we like your show. We think it's great, but you know, some things you got, some things you didn't. So here's the things you didn't get. You know, we're part of a federation of federation of planets of you know some 120, 180 different solar systems with 60 to 80 different races." And blah 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 this and that and the other thing and then no and behold the very next season star trek the enterprise used to be under you uh, a, a company called uesp the united earth space probe agency that's the season one season two they're now all of a sudden under the auspices of the united federation of planets so allegedly this is where gene got that idea is from this this liaison between these men in black who were bringing messages from the council of nine to gene roddenberry and I was just watching Aliens the other last night, oddly enough, and I forget the title of it. Uh, but they said he also participated in several seances throughout the 60s and 70s that uh, were 
you know, contact uh, Ouija board type seances in contacting the uh, the Council of the Nine. So, huh. sounds like many of the ideas that he put in Star Trek, uh, he may have gotten from friends a little bit further away. Yeah, yeah, the Arcarians, Artur, what are they? Um, what's the name of them? Ar the Arcturians, I think, is how it's pronounced. Yeah, that's how I think it is. Uh, Jay, you worked with my next door neighbor at Sam Goody's, Kent Miller. Oh, okay, cool, Gary. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's possible. Yeah, like I said, the the um the real collections was in Savannah. It was a it was a, a San, it was a Sam Goody, um, you know, parent company. So, so back to the alien crap. Uh, and, you know, I tell everybody with me about aliens and UFOs. I've been doing uh, radio for, what, five years now, okay? And um, from Chasing Prophecy to Into the Night and um, a couple other shows. Um, I tell people, I know what a ghost looks like because I saw a ghost, you know? For me, do I believe aliens and UFOs exist? I do. Okay. But I need to see one. You know what I mean? I need to actually see a UFO come in my backyard <laughs> and land and see an ET climb out of that freaking UFO. You know what I mean? So. That's how I look at it like this. I mean, I don't judge anybody. I respect what everybody believes in, you know. Um, but even though I do believe, I also need to see it too. Johnny Freeman says he he has seen the UFO. Yeah, I've seen a couple. Yeah, there, there, there are two kinds of UFOs out there, just like there are two kinds of men in black. There are UFOs that are ours, and there are UFOs that are theirs, and you can't tell until you crack them open and see who's inside. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Mandy. Hi, Virginia. Uh, good. Thank you for stopping in. Um, yeah, so I like what you had to say. Um, I never heard of us having our own UFOs and the aliens having their aliens. Can you explain that a little bit more, please? Well, so we got, um, we've had several presidents who've been in on this uh, secret. Um, but the first one who really got in on the ground floor was was Eisenhower. And you've probably heard his great granddaughter talking about the, the Griotta Treaty, which he allegedly an exopolitical agreement between us and them and us being uh uh, Eisenhower's administration and staff and then them being the aliens of uh, the Greys from uh, Zeta Reticuli, the, the reptilians from Draco. Uh, the, I don't know the other part of the Draco constellation, but they're from Draco constellation. And then uh, the, the uh, insect order or uh, praying mantis-like uh, alien race. And I don't know where they're from. I wish I did. But in any event, uh, it was alleged that four different races actually contacted Eisenhower in the 50s as he was president-elect and or as president. And the first group to allegedly uh, talk to him was what we affectionately known as either the Pleiadians or the um, Anunnaki, one of those who claimed to be the ones who built our, our species. Yeah. Uh, and he rejected them out of sight, out of hand. And allegedly, they also the same four races also talked to uh, Hitler. 
two years earlier in Germany during world during and before World War II. So uh, what happens is, is they, they enter into an agreement with Eisenhower tentatively allowing them to abduct one million uh, humans. And I'm sure there's, there's no detail on this, but I'm sure he probably meant for them to only abduct Americans, not the whole planet. Um, in exchange for their technology so we can improve our way of life and technology, et cetera, yada, yada. But what happened is that as soon after they started this alleged treaty, uh, they realized that they were being duped, um, that the, the group of aliens were abducting more than a million of people a year. They were abducting more people outside of the United States than they actually were supposed to. Um, and then the whatever technology they did give us was, was either obsolete or worthless, or they did not honor their end of the bargain. So at some point, um, it's alleged that we're actually at war with these same uh, three races, but it's a well-hidden war, and you can kind of see it. If you've looked at, if anyone's done any kind of math following World War II, our peacetime budget after World War II has steadily increased every year for decades. We're now into the what? 400 500 700 trillion dollar yeah wartime well you know peacetime budget for for you know war machines come on somewhere <laughs> there's a war going on that we don't know about and you know and then trump goes oh I'm, i've invented the space fleet the, there's the new, new the new uh, armed forces the space forces uh allegedly that's been around since the 60s also so you know, Trump may have been around in the 60s, but I very seriously doubt that he was in the government at that time. And I don't think that he. No, I don't he's think there is so a either. benchmark for the, uh, the, the 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 space fleet to be announced, but he had nothing to do with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Gary says uh, to him, it's too much James T. Kurt stuff. You know what I mean? When they were doing um, Star Trek, because I, I know I never followed it. And now, you know, you probably did. Do, oh, yeah. you, do you think they took the shows that they had on Star Trek? Do you think they took actual evidence and put it on the show or try to get the show across to people that aliens and this stuff does exist? I, I don't think that was the main uh, emphasis of the show. The show was mainly basically. Uh, so Gene Roddenberry was in World War II. He's a fighter. He was a fighter pilot. He was a bomber pilot. Uh, he. Um, came out of World War II with nothing. To, he had he had no no career goal, at, really, at that point. So he had to find something to do. He had just had a, a wife and, and child after, after the war. So uh, the real premise behind uh, Star Trek is to make money. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's just strictly for him a way to make money cheaply and quickly. Um, his idea was more to be like a, a space opera set in kind of like a western well he called it a wagon train to the stars so at the time the big tv shows on the 50s and 60s were you know wagon train um uh have gun will travel you know the chuck connor show the rifleman all these like five or six or seven or eight shows a week through three networks that were all you know western based so that was his idea was to get get a space opera in outer space with the idea of it being like a a Western space opera. Um, I don't think there was a whole lot of reality as far as the aliens that they were talking about, but the technology, they wanted to be, you know, straight laced, complete, factual, or hypothetical, possible in the future technology. 
They weren't really necessarily trying to drop a bomb like, you know, hey, by the way, we've been visited by aliens from other planets for centuries. And here's what they look like. No, it wasn't that kind of wasn't that kind of a deal. It was strictly for making money and getting some stories out there. Um, I, I, I very seriously doubt that there was any sort of debunking and or uh, desensitization desensitization program to get people used to the idea of aliens. Um, I think that comes a little bit later in Star Trek's careers and, and the spinoffs we've had since. But Star Trek's just a money maker. I mean, money started maker. Looking, look at what it did for Star Wars and other other you know even comic books. I mean. Uh, in the 70s, before you had any kind of conventions, there were book conventions. People would go to these book conventions and you would talk to the authors and talk to the publishers and see what books are coming out next year or later in the year, get some books signed and whatnot. Gene Roddenberry, all the fans of Star Trek, his they they honed in on that and they, they took over those 70s book conventions and turned them into Star Trek conventions. And here we are 50-some years later uh, and you've got San Diego Comic Con is huge. Or there's like 60, 70, 80,000 people a day goes wow. through that building or through that convention. You've got the uh, Dragon Con on the Eastern Seaboard, which is about the same thing. You got 30, 40, 50,000 people going through these doorways for these hotels on a three or four day basis every year. It's a multi billion dollar business. Wow. Um, Sebastian um, says that Blue Bean as in a hologram audio and visual invasion. Now, I'm glad you brought that up, Sebastian, because, you know, I do see uh, YouTube YouTube channels and I also do TikTok, you know what I mean? And a lot of that stuff, honest to God, is Bluebeam. I swear to God, I, I, I'm a full believer of Project Bluebeam. Um, putting up the, the hologram of the Virgin Mary. You know what I mean? I know they couldn't. I don't know. I just my question with the blue beam, and this is to me, is that they were supposed to launch off a simulated alien attack from outer space. And I just want to know, since it's the 21st century, do you think people would actually believe in that stuff if they actually saw that up in the, uh, up in the skies? Excuse my stomach, dude. Have back. <laughs> well, some of those holograms I've seen, there, there was the one, I think it was in uh, Holland, and it, it's, it's sort of like a blue spiral vortex in the sky above the, the night sky. Um, I don't think that was a natural phenomenon, and I have a degree in video production, so I mean, I... I really can't give an honest opinion on it other than the fact that it looked fake. Um, so, I mean, if the images are fake enough looking, uh, some people would be easily fooled, but most people who go to the movies every day, I don't think they're going to, you know, if, I think they're going to see through it. If it's a, if it's a bad hologram. Yeah. I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's going to work. Ah, I, I, I don't either. I'll just sit back. I'll probably get some popcorn dude. Yeah, just, just watch all the more around shooting each other. <laughs> uh, said, uh, good question, Sean. If some do think that ET slash alien is a psyop, hundreds of TV shows, films, books, and magazines. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I don't think it's a psyop. Um, and so you have, if you look back throughout history, uh, particularly in the movie theaters and TV shows, what did they have in the 50s? What did they have? The 50s, it was all 
propaganda. It's all war, mostly war stuff, newsreels, uh, updates on what's happening in World War II, et cetera, et cetera. And then, uh, you know, war dramas, that kind of nature. And then the next big popular movies during the 50s and 60s were, were Western dramas. Uh, and then you, you, go, you start to see a paradigm shift, you know, in the 60s and 70s. In the 60s, you start seeing a little bit more, you know, schlocky B-roll, you know, slimy green alien monsters come to attack Earth kind of movies. And then as they progress on through the 70s, they get a little less slimy. <laughs> you go on through the <laughs> 80s and 90s, they get, you know, more and more human-like looking. Um, and then you get to the point where you have, uh, you know, artificial intelligences like with the with the Terminator robots and the uh, Transformers and that kind of thing. So the the fact is is that they they do exist. Aliens do exist. There's there, it's mathematically impossible, first of all. Um, but there is a part of Hollywood that is a part of the desensitization program that's starting to get those images out to you. I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Paul. Um, with one of the Star Trek alums, the guy that plays the new Scotty. Um, it is kind of a funny movie. It's kind of goofy, but uh, Paul says, the alien's name is Paul in the movie. hope I'm not spoiling it for anybody. He says, look, you've been seeing my face splattered on lunchboxes and T-shirts for the last several decades. And there's a reason behind that. It's, they don't really actually look quite that weird, but they're, they're wanting to get those images and the idea out there that we aren't alone in the universe so that when any one race does decide to announce themselves, we're not going to pull out the uh, daddy's old side-by-side shotgun and blow them away. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sebastian uh, it, says, when people, I'm sorry, when people reported such things as UFO sightings, the MSM often become sarcastic with witnesses and would mention the, us- the usual little green men nonsense and eventually become the alien gray largehead. Hmm. Yeah, there, there's quite a bit of confusion behind that. Um, there, there's there's more than there's more than one type of gray alien. Let's just put it that way. Uh, there's at least five different cataloged species that if you or me, Sean, anybody were to see, we go, oh look, there's a gray head alien. But they all have different, um, very subtle differences, but differences nonetheless that makes it so that um, under you know further investigation, you find out which ones are which and which ones are are not which. Um, some are good, some are bad, just like we have people here. We have good people, we have bad people, they have good aliens, they have bad aliens. Um, the current gray aliens that we're dealing with right now, there's actually two or three different genotypes of them. There's a, a short ones and the tall ones, and the tall ones seem to be biological, and the short ones seem to be biomechanical, if not either some sort of a clone or some sort of programmed biomechanism, you know. Um, right. In any event, um, they're uh, they're not they're not friendly. Uh, they're throughout my years of, of looking into the at least alien stuff. They've been good. They've been bad. They've been good. They've been bad. And I'm talking just the gray aliens and throughout throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I've been alive since 1966, so started investigating this stuff in the mid 70s. Um, they flip flopped being good and bad and good and bad all. The decades I've been doing this, and right now I think they're currently on the of the bad side of the ticker scale. Uh, but they don't have our better interests in in mind. They don't have um, they they don't have a whole lot of friends in the in the alien community. But they they are working with the the reptilians and the and the insects. So um, huh. as a group, the, those three are pretty powerful, um, and uh, it's it's. If they gain control, it's probably not going to be good for the rest of us. 
So uh, right now, uh, you know, keep your keep your hopes up that the good guys actually do begin to help us. Um, the way that I understand it is that the, the, the reticulants, the Zeta reticulants, the gray aliens we're talking about, have been at war with the Anunnaki race, people, those who came from heaven or whatever that they tell you on ancient aliens, which is a wrong interpretation of that word. Anunnaki actually means of the sons of Anu. It does not have anything to do with those who came from the heavens to earth. Those words, oh, there's none of those. Those oh. words do not line up. I've, I've researched that. They do not line up. Um, but in any event, uh, they've been at war with the Anunnaki for tens of thousands of years, 15, 20,000, 30,000 years. And uh, they're not good. Wow. Not good people. That kind of like opened my mind because to me, I always thought that the Anunnaki, you know, from what I studied uh, or researched was that they actually came down and told the king's uh, uh, squire what to write down and it was written down, you know. Yeah, they, they are responsible for the bulk of our civilization, absolutely. Um, uh, they're, they're probably a good species. I, I've never met one, so I can't say for sure. But everyone always asks, well, what, what kind of, how can you prove that, that the aliens have been on this planet? Well, first of all, language comes out of our vocal cords, right? How do you translate that to paper? It's kind of hard. So we didn't have any written languages until the Sumerian cuneiform. And then, so what do they do with the cuneiform? As soon as they invent language, what do they do with the language, Sean? Well, they, they write, write Star down. Wars. They write yeah. Star Wars on a clay tablet. And like these aliens come down, they did this, they messed with our DNA, yeah. they did that, they did this. How do you write this? It's the first, you just invented language. What would be the first thing a language would be invented would say? There's monkeys over there. They taste good. Go get them. <laughs> True. That, that's what the first language of a, of a primitive race is going to sound like. Is there's there's food over there. Go get it. Here's how you cook it. Not okay. aliens came down from space and kidnapped us and funk and 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 messed with our DNA and and, and functionally changed us into a different species. Yeah. This is not the first story you write when you're writing a language. <laughs> they basically wrote the Star Wars saga on a clay tablet. Six, seven, eight thousand years ago. Wow, that's craziness, man. It's interesting. It really is. Mm -hmm. uh, my friend Virginia uh, says, "Remember, do you remember the slee stacks? I never slee heard stacks, of them. Yeah. Uh, what are those? You, you, you've seen? You, you never saw the the show um, uh, Land of the Lost? Oh my God, maybe once or twice. That's about it. Really, was never really into that stuff." The bad, the bad guys in that were the slee stacks. Yeah, it's like lizard creatures that were um, deathly afraid of the sun. There's my buddy Tony. Hey, Tony, good to see you. Good to see you, bud. I hope New Orleans was good for you, buddy. So, um, <laughs> okay, Jay. So I want to wrap it up. Um, what is your final? Not the show. I'm just this this portion of the show. Oh, um, <laughs> it's early still, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no. Just this part. I what I like to do is I like to take a topic and go a half hour with it. You know what I mean? And then cool. go to another one. And Johnny's listening. Johnny's a good dude, man. Johnny's a good dude. All my people are good dudes. Everyone good dudes and dudettes. You know, everyone. <laughs> but um, what is your me. final? Um, so what's your final thought on aliens and UFOs? Well, 
as I said earlier in the, in the beginning, uh, we, we've got two kinds of UFOs. Some are theirs, some are ours. We've got uh, at least, at minimum, right now, minimum four to six races of alien species visiting this planet on a daily basis. At least three of them are not necessarily very good. They don't necessarily have our better interests in hand. Um, they are definitely some old, even the, even the good alien races, why would, why would you keep secret the fact that you're an alien species? There's some kind of ulterior motive there. So we can't, we can't be 100%, you know, the good guys are good and 100% the bad guys are bad. We need to evaluate the, the information very clearly. And like I said, we've had many, many presidents starting since, uh, at least Truman, maybe sooner, but at least Truman onwards till today where they've had to debrief the president on this information. And some of the presidents have been given a lot of the information and some presidents have been like, look, there's UFOs, deal with it. And they're not told any much more than that. And Bill Clinton was one of those. He was not told the the the, the basic gist of what the alien uh, agenda is. And I'm not even sure that the entire government knows, but there are enough compartmentalized government agencies through CIA, FBI, you know, the three-letter guys, and then the one uh, two-letter two number guys, MJ-12, Magic-12, somewhere in between all of those abbreviated government agencies, therein lies the entire truth. Um, <laughs> hell, they lie now. So. Yeah, you think they lie now? Wait till you find <laughs> out what, why they're not telling us the whole story. Okay. And then it also goes back to Eisenhower. And, you know, if we were to find out the actual whole truth of why uh, what happened with uh, the aliens in the Grata Treaty, I, I guarantee you this country, everyone in this country, even people that don't have guns, that hate guns and hate monsters, would rise up against the, the government. They would want to absolutely turn the government over on its ear. Right. Oh, absolutely. And like I said, I won't get political. I'm, I'm behaving now that you're on the show. <laughs> and these are we'll, good people. We'll save that here. for Friday. <laughs> <laughs> but um, real quick, and then I'll go. Um then we'll go to another topic. Um, a lot I've heard through guests that we had on Chasing Prophecy that the Queen of England and the royal family are part of the reptilian aliens. Have you ever heard of that? Or yeah, there, what, there what's, your, several... what's your take on it? Well, you know, until I see an actual reptilian polymorph for change it's outer look to look like a human being or something else i'm gonna hold in reserve on the on the shape-shifting kind of thing i don't i don't know that they don't exist but i don't know that they do exist so that we'll kind of leave that in kind of limbo um but think about it you know if you're uh our planet is in a unique situation where you know most planets in the in our solar system are on a binary system that means there's two suns and two sets of planets revolving all around each other. Most mm -hmm. solar systems are binary, trinary, and quaternary. That's two suns, three suns, or four, four suns. We're kind of odd in the fact that we're one sun. We're not in a cluster of other nearby solar systems, what we call our local neighborhood. We're kind of in between solar arm or radial arms of the galaxy. So we're, we're set off to be unique and out by ourselves. We can be a Petri dish. So if you're an alien race or several alien races and you come to this planet and you, you start mining for materials you need, you're not going to do the mining yourself. I mean, this is this is written down in the, in the Sumerian and Anunnaki traditions. Our planet is just too harsh if you weren't born here. We weren't born right. here and it's still, it, 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 it destroys our, our skin. 
you know, the sun destroys our skin and, and we're supposed to get vitamin D from the sun, but it also gives us cancer. So it's kind of a, you have to, but you, you need to stay careful away of the sun. But think of an alien species. It's even worse for them. So how do you make your slave race? You make it out of the creatures on that planet. You're mining stuff on the, on the, on the mountains. You go to the mountains and you mountain, you, you farm DNA material from creatures in that area to mine stuff up there. If you go to the beaches, you don't bring a creature that's used to lesser oxygen and, 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 you know, lighter conditions in the mountains and bring it down to the, to the ocean city, they wouldn't be able to function. So you, you use DNA from creatures that are in that area. So the same thing that the aliens did when they created the human race, they needed to mine materials from all over the planet, not just in Egypt and not just in South America, but all over the planet. So again, you don't take a desert dwelling creature and take him nine miles up on a mountain and say, here, dig, dig rocks. No, the creature's no. not going to make it. They're, it's just the right. environment is too harsh for them. It would take them years, months, and, and decades even to get used to it. So by doing that, by, by diversifying their experiment and making different types of humans out of different types of creatures throughout the planet, that's why we have black skin, white skin, red skin, yellow skin. People always ask mm -hmm. why. Well, there you go. They needed to make different species, different versions of our species to do different tasks. Yeah, just so like therefore, well, yeah, ahead. therefore, there's got to be different species of, of them that can pass and look like us. And some of them have been in government and some of them have not. Um, we had a, a, a guy in the United States government that wasn't really he was more of a, an, an, an exopolitical advisor called Valiant Thor. Um, who? Oh, yeah, I heard a lot about him. Yeah. Yeah. He represented the Council of the Nine. And he was he was given immediate VIP status when he met with. I believe it was Eisenhower first um, met with Eisenhower and he stayed in for oh, three or four years before they realized that uh, Eisenhower was not going to have any kind of treaty with them. So he left. But yeah, so those types of creatures that have, yeah. let's just say they have reptilian features like the, the queen and her family, that's probably a genetic marker placed into them by whatever alien race created their direct species line or their, their direct uh, haplogroup, if you will. So, yeah, I absolutely think that they might be uh, aligned towards the reptilians, but are they reptilian? I don't know. I, that's, that, that's a tough question, but uh, just, just think about how all of us have different types of colors of skin and different types of, you know, our faces are different. Some have long skinny noses, some have flat squash noses. Right. All those types of DNA things are because of previous DNA markers from ancestor to ancestor. So if you're an alien race and you used your alien species, alien DNA to create a new species, there you go. There's probably a, a gray alien somewhere in government in the in, in our country and in other countries, there's probably, uh, uh, insectoid types. I mean, look at people around the world. You can see people that are, that have like insectoid kind of features. There are people that have kind of, uh, almost like caveman-like quality to their face because their their nose is squished and their brow ridge is, is, is pronounced. Uh, you can see it, it's, but are they actual aliens? I think it's more of a hybrid at that point. Yeah, and my friend Virginia says she calls them hybrids too. Yeah. But uh, she said something a little bit earlier, uh, Virginia did. She said she knew someone who said he was abducted by aliens and sadly no one believed him. That that is sad, um, Virginia. I know I, I know people who actually work with abductees, 
um, I believe that, um, and I'm sorry that people didn't believe him. I hope uh, he's okay with what happened to him now. Um, well, firing the Fortunately, though, with the with the abduction phenomenon, there's enough there's enough people out there that have done enough studies on it that it's an actual phenomenon. Uh, I mean, Dr. John Mack really did the the pioneering work up in the Boston University area, uh, dealing with the uh, the um, Barney Hill Betty and Barney Hill incident, uh, which was the the landmark event, really. Um, but I mean, he went he, going in. He wasn't, and he wasn't the first guy to examine the Betty and Barney Hill. It, his predecessor at the same university, Boston University, um, started that investigation. And then when he passed, uh, when he left the, the office, he gave that, uh, John Mack took over his position and he took over uh, the Betty and Barney Hill investigation. And he went in going in as a skeptic. He did not believe aliens were the root cause. He did not believe creatures from another planet were coming here, grabbing people up, knocking them out, making them forget things and, and doing experiments on them. Uh, and you have to also remember back in the 60s, we didn't have amniocentesis. They didn't have that test for pregnancy and that test for is the, is the child healthy or is it going to be, you know, mutated or, you know, brain damage or whatnot. They didn't have that test. When you went to the doctors in the 1960s to find out if you were pregnant, they physically killed a rabbit. They, they got a rabbit out of, out of the, the, the wherever the in the hospital and they used your DNA and they injected it into the rabbit. If the rabbit died, you were pregnant. That's how that's how barbaric it was back then. Oh my god! So that's she describes insane, she describes amniocentesis, which we now have. We know we now know is an excellent uh, uh, device for for medical practitioners to, to determine the the health of the baby, the health of the mama, uh, what's going on. You know what what sex is the baby? Is it you know is the baby oriented right? All we didn't have a lot of these tests back in sexies. They just they it's just like you know set someone on fire, and let them go. You've never had a baby before. Just just roll with it. You'll figure it out. Now we have so much stuff on it. It's it, it taking doing do, making babies now is like taking a, a Kodak. Uh, you know, you, yeah. you have the picture in seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but anyway, John Mack went in as a skeptic, and then for years and years and years, he kept doing this research, researching everyone who's ever claimed to be abducted by aliens. And he is one hundred percent. He's dead now, but he was one hundred percent convinced that it's an actual phenomenon that something real is going on. Not something imagined, not something hallucinated, not something implanted, but something real is going on. And he didn't go so much as far, or so he didn't go so far as to say that aliens exist and they're all over the this part of the galaxy. Um, but he basically said that the phenomenon is 100% real. It is not fantastic. Mm -hmm. It is not imagined. It is not hallucinatory. It is not drug induced. Think of a reason, an ex ex exclamation, an explanation for someone thinking they were grabbed by aliens and poked and prodded with strange metallic devices. First of all, who comes up with these ideas? Second of, all, second of all, show me one. Show me one person, including Betty and Barney Hill, that made any kind of profit after coming forward and saying, I was abducted by aliens. Show me one of those people that's a millionaire right now. None. Not None a single of one of them. No. no one has ever done this for any kind of money or profit. Why would you want to come out and say that this is, this is happening to me and then ruin your life? Bob Lazar said it the best. He's one of the most known UFO whistleblowers. For him, it's ruined his life. He absolutely hates the fact that he came out and, and talked about what alien information he found about in in uh, in um, the desert of Nevada. Mm -hmm. the The fact is is that it it does need to be released. We all need to know. I mean, this is like this is 
the tantamount to the most significant scientific uh, discovery ever, and it's being hidden from us. And then these people that are trying to get the information out, Bob Lazar, John Mack, name a UFO whistleblower, name a UFO researcher. None of us, except for the guys who make successful books, are making any money in profit. I'm not making money. Sean's not making money off of it. No. That's exactly my argument with all the, like, Ed and Lorraine Warren, okay? Um, I'm sure I'll lose a lot of people by saying their their claim to fame has been written by books. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I have seen... I guess Annabelle and uh, Haunting in Connecticut and actually did some researching on it. And I'm just thinking this was just another ordinary freaking investigation, you know, mm-hmm. on somebody's house. I mean, I've seen stuff thrown and, and, you know, and people getting hurt and stuff like that. But, but they wrote books. Okay, look at these big psychics that are out there right now. The ones that are all over the place. They all written books. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Honest to God, Jay, write a book. Okay. Yeah. Give it to Joe. Have him publicize it. And I bet you, you know, make some monies. Yeah. That's the way I look at it. <clears throat> but I'm going to get to Virginia real quick. Um, fire in the sky. Yes. Uh, when I was on Chasing Prophecy, we had that guy. What was his name again? Travis Walton. Yeah, we had Travis Walton on our show on Chasing Prophecy. And uh, that was a very, very good show. And yeah, it, it, it's all for real. I do believe now, because when we were interviewing him, he did say that they were going to come out with another fire in the sky, uh, oh. part two. Yeah. And he really could not get into um he really could not get into talking too much because they were using a lot from the first movie. But I will tell everybody, since you watched the first one, he'll be the first one to tell you that he did not wake up naked at that story. <laughs> he did not wake That's up Hollywood, naked. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, his, his case does have the uniqueness of having been scrutinized, at least locally, during the, during the, the five or six days he was missing. Uh, I mean, they were active... Uh, like community get gatherings where they got together in a certain part of where he disappeared and went went looking for him for five or six days after that. I mean, we're talking state troopers, police, local friends, neighbors, what have you. We're looking for this guy for five, six days straight, straight, and no one found him. And I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know. Even if you're in an, in a wilderness area like where they they were uh, as as loggers and and uh, journeymen, you're not hiding from your entire town for five or six days straight. Unless you're out of town, mm-hmm. he was out of town. Yeah. He wasn't. In, he wasn't anywhere near those buildings, those cities, those houses, or those uh, logger lands where he was cutting down trees. He was gone, mm-hmm. way gone. Uh, Virginia he said that he wasn't happy with how they did the movie. That's just true. He, it, it is yeah. true. He wasn't happy with it. The only person I know who was happy with the way Hollywood treated their book or their story is uh, Peter Benchley. Peter Benchley wrote a book, a little book called Jaws. And I'm sure some of you out there have seen that movie that's called Jaws. You may not realize it, but Jaws is a horror movie. You do not see the killer until the last few minutes of the movie. When he does kill, 
you hear a particular musical theme that always announces like Jason, right? You hear the music sharks coming, you know, someone's going to get eaten up. That book ended with, now Peter Benchley wrote this and he's in the movie. Peter Benchley wrote the books at the end of the movie or the end of the book, uh, the, the guy, the little, little sheriff guy who's afraid of water, he, he, he knocks, he does something to the boat and sinks the boat and traps the shark and the shark and the boat sink to the bottom of the ocean and you, you never hear the shark again. What a lame ending for a Hollywood movie. So what do they do? What Hollywood do? They shove a big old scuba tank in the in the shark's mouth, and then the little scared, right. I'm afraid of the ocean the sheriff guy takes out his rifle and boom. And what does he say at the end? Come on, you son of a bitch, smile. Boom. And he hits the tank, and the shark's face explodes, and there's all this blood and gore in the water. Only time in history that I know of, and, and Peter Benchley, if he was still alive, probably agree with me. Only time I know of in history where Hollywood actually made the book better. Ah, okay. Okay, I... Think about it. You go to the theater. You pay twenty bucks right now for a movie. Twenty bucks just to get in. You pay another twenty bucks for a, a, a bucket of corn and a, and a bucket of cola. Then you go and you sit down and you watch this movie for two hours. You're watching this this invisible shark go around and killing all these people in this little tiny little harbor village. And then at the end, the boat just sinks with the shark and it dies. You would, I would be furious. I'd be wanting my money back. I want my twenty bucks back for that. That was the worst movie I've ever seen. But then you blow the shark up, what do you get? You get a Hollywood blockbuster. And Jaws, to be honest, to be honest is the one that really coined the phrase blockbuster. It had it had people going around the block to see that naked girl get eaten up <laughs> in a movie. Guarantee you, best drawing of a movie ever made is put in a hot, naked Olympic swimmer and have her get chewed up by a shark. You'll have a blockbuster. That's, that's true. So uh, at 9 o'clock, we're going to usually take... Um, uh a break okay about a minute break and uh but i just is there anybody out there uh my friend johnny he was saying that he did travel the universe and you know johnny i believe you and uh, i need to get you in uh oh boy <laughs> i i can't I get it's things like to at four o'clock in the morning. You'll both up right. Oh yeah, and him. I need to get him on the show. <laughs> yeah, I need to get Johnny and Virginia on here um, uh, to tell their experiences. Hopefully, we'll get them in sometime during this month. I'll I'll give you a call later, John, or I'll talk to you tomorrow. But um, but we're getting close. Is there anybody out there in the chat room that has a question for my friend Jay? Please. Type one in. You need, you know, um, if you want to know how old Jay is, post it in the comment. You know, hey, Jay, <laughs> how old are you? You know, come on up. I mean, it was a very interesting first hour of the show, uh, Jay. Um, I learned a lot more than what I have been, you know, told or taught in the past five years. And that 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 was a been pretty interesting. Sebastian Moran says he's my buddy. He's from England, I do believe. The director of Jaws went on to make Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Taken. I don't think Spielberg um, directed Taken. Taken's a good movie with Liam Neeson, but he did uh, Spielberg did uh, direct Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Oh, is that the one where they say E.T. go home? 
Uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is the one with Richard Dreyfus, and he's like a Tennessee lineman or something like that, and he he gets uh, he gets some sort of a he gets a UFO sunburn message in his brain somehow that makes him go psycho, and he goes to find uh, other people like that. Uh, like the, there's a woman he he uh, hooks up with later in the movie. He builds a giant. He like destroys his house by building a giant uh, devil's tower uh, thing in the house. And then he goes and finds aliens that, that had, are bringing back people from the the uh, uh, UFO from the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, great movie, but no, that's not ET phone home. That's um, that's. Uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial. That's also Spielberg, but, you know, different decade. Uh, Sebastian says Taken is a TV show by Spielberg. Oh, he may be. Yeah, but yeah, the first movie, he definitely wasn't involved in. The first movie is European. It's a really, really good series, though. Uh, I haven't seen the Taken TV show, but I I did like the the Liam Neeson uh, movie franchise. Very good movies. Virginia has a question for you, buddy. Go ahead. Finish up with Sebastian. What is what your is, personal is, experience with UFOs, Jay? So, like the very first one is about the same time as when I found uh, Von Daniken's book um, in the in the early seventies, um, maybe seventy six, seven, eight, somewhere in around that range, mid to late seventies. Uh, my brother and two of our friends from our neighborhood—they were also brothers, weird, oddly enough. So, my brother and I and our friends that who are also brothers were walking in the woods. Um, and behind the behind the houses, we had like this huge swath of like cut out uh, wilderness that the high power lines went through. So we got like these those those big metal things that that have the high tension wires. We had those running through our back, backyard basically. Uh, so we were walking down there. I don't remember what we were going to do. Uh, whatever kids' mission we had for that afternoon. Uh, <laughs> and uh, as we're walking, I'm in the front and I have a big st- like a walking stick uh, because where I live. Uh, at that time was in Maryland is uh, fraught with uh, 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 copperhead snakes. Copperhead snakes are very aggressive. They will actually chase you down, especially your little kid, and they will bite the snot out of you until you die. So <laughs> we didn't want that. So I was walking forward with a big stick and uh, uh, a copperhead comes out in front of me on the path and blocks my path. And they're like, you know how typical snakes, they stand up and they go, well, it was doing that to me. I'm like, I'm holding my stick in front, so it won't. It'll bite the stick first and not me. And um, it was weird. I was I was scared out of my mind. I knew I thought for sure I was going to get bitten. But the snake kind of looks up behind me and then darts off the opposite direction from where it came. So it comes in on one side of the comes in on one side of the trail, hisses at me, and then goes keeps on going across the trail the other direction, disappears. And I turn around to t- tell my brother that and. I can see my brother's hand is coming at me and he grabs me by the shoulder and points my face up. And there's a, a UFO right above the power lines. Now these power line things, these metal things, what are they? 300 feet tall? Yeah. Maybe. So this thing was just about the top of that tower. Um, so 350 feet, 320 feet, you know, up in the air above us. And it was a brass. Co- Everyone always says, oh, it's, it's silver or it's shiny. Well, it was kind of shiny, but it was, it was gold shiny. It was like, uh, like brass or, uh, I don't want to say rose gold, but maybe brushed gold in color. And it had like a, it had a symbol, a sigil on the center of it underneath. And, you know, like you've seen the symbols for the planets, Sean, like, like yes, Pluto yes. has a symbol and, and, and yes. Saturn. It was a symbol that looked kind of like the Saturn sigil. Huh. It's kind of like a weird like uh, script H with some weird flourishes on it. Kind of looked like that. 
but it wasn't an H. I mean, it was close. And we watched it for I don't know how many seconds, 30, 40, 50 seconds. Then it just went and darted straight up. So that was my first experience with the UFO. And uh, I haven't seen anything like that since. I mean, yes, I've seen other UFOs and other craft in the air since, but never anyone that had a symbol on it. And especially not a symbol. I mean, it's like, you know, like you're driving down the road and you're like, oh, what kind of car is that? You got to wait till you get on top of it before you can see, oh, it's a Mercedes. It's a Dodge. It's a Chevy. This was like almost advertising, you know, we're a Mercedes Benz. This is this is what model. It's <laughs> it's yeah, it was, it definitely was a, it was a conspicuous, <laughs> a conspicuous mark. It was, it was really where I'm going. Most of them don't have conspicuous marks like that. Maybe it was the head honcho, man. Maybe it was the main CEO of the alien species. That yeah, was it, it could have been the HN for this area. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I hope you, uh, Virginia. Um, so uh, Jermaine Carr says, don't worry, they are looking for me. And <laughs> Jermaine Carr goes, that's my mothership, you. Yeah. I had saw. <laughs> that's cool. But listen, it's 9 o'clock, everybody. It's time to take that minute break. So uh, if you have to go to the bathroom or go get something to drink, we'll be back in about a, uh, yeah, about a minute. And um, we'll about start 61 with seconds. 61 seconds. All right. So everybody, please <laughs> enjoy the hour, half hour, whatever, the minute break. Looking for something new in dark fantasy, humor, space exploration, time travel, alternative history? They're in the L. Ron Hubbard Presents Writers of the Future Anthology. Get the 10-volume box set with 159 stories in full-color illustrations plus 34 articles with writings and art tips. Get the UPRN discount, $125 for the entire box set. That's a $60 savings for that beautiful box set. L. Ron Hubbard presents Writers of the Future. Go to uprntalkradio.com, click on the link, and place your order. There we go. It's been a minute. I hope everybody got some tea, got to the birth, you know, bath, and whatever they had to do. But I will tell you in future, future down the road that we're going to have like two-minute, three-minute commercial breaks, you know. Especially our show is going to be like at the beginning of the show, in the middle and the top so i'm just getting you prepared for more commercials but that's okay <clears throat> we need to keep these commercials going i also want to uh talk about um joe's programs that he has on uprn talk radio uh you got the church of mavis which is day uh you got news on the flip side with joe you got my show into the night you got trish mo um Mm -hmm. her, you know hers the missing piece and then you got uh the outer realm so we you know so if you're not doing anything 
uh, during the week. And if you want to listen to a very good radio station, very good podcast, just come on to UPRN Talk Radio and uh, listen to the other shows that they do have on here. Now, Jay, now that we can start the second hour, why don't you, how did you get the show Church of Mavis? What's it all about? You know, you and uh, Je- Mr. Pritchard? Um, yeah, Jeffrey? Jeffrey Pritchard. Can you show Yeah, something? so um, I've, been on, I've been on the show now since 2014. Uh, I think my first show was the, in December of that year. Um, and, and it just... It, me and Jeff just happened to be uh, uh, Facebook friends in like the same, you know, UFO groups on, on Facebook commenting on this, that, and the other thing. And we seem to usually have the same um, opinion on certain things. And, and one day he had a, he had a, um, he had a co-host um, Bezel who uh, due to his new job was no longer able to continue co-hosting with Jeff. So Jeff sent out a thing uh, on uh, one of the Facebook groups uh, that we were in that he was looking for a co-host. So I said, Hey, I, I know this stuff. So uh, give me a try. So he interviewed a lot of people and then he came down to the conclusion that they were two uh, best suited guest hosts for him. So he chose between me and our other co-host uh, Wham. Wham is a, a female. Um, she's, uh, she works in the university of New York system. I don't know what exactly what school she's in. I can't remember, but she's a actual college professor and she's super smart. She does three Fridays on the church's Mabus. Then I do three Fridays. Then she does. Then I do. So we flip flop between doing things on there. She is really, really good with like the, the shamanism things that we talk about. And she's also really good with the alien and uh, UFO abduction stories. Um, my expertise is more on the UFOs and aliens and, and cryptos. Uh, but I, I sit in on the, some of the uh, the shamanistic shows as well and, you know, alternative healing and, and medicine. So I've, I've always been interested in that stuff. But it, my actual bag is more of the UFO alien conspiracy theories right now. Uh, I've seen Bigfoot. I've seen him up close. I don't need to investigate him anymore. He's real. Um, that's all I got to say about that. But <laughs> uh, what did you say him at, dude? I mean, uh, I saw him in, in of all places, uh, Boardman, Ohio. Okay, well, they do say that Ohio's like in the top five for Bigfoot. It's, Ohio's a really big state. Um, it's It's got a good bit of wilderness, and it's it's situated right near. So one of the theories with Bigfoot is why can't we see Bigfoot? Why don't we see There's so many. If there's a breeding community, why can't we find them? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, they actively hide from us, actively seek to avoid contact with us. And if you know about our species and you were smart, you would too. So <laughs> um, yeah. the other thing is that they're, they're where, uh, where this part of, of Ohio is, is right on the Pennsylvania, Ohio border, Youngstown, Boardman. Uh, it's where my, my dad's relatives are. Um, it's right near um, some underground caverns that come out from underneath the mountains. And I don't know which mountain chain it is. It's probably, probably the Allegheny mountains. Are you I sure? Not the, the Appalachians? No, it's because it's 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 west of you. It, 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 Pittsburgh is like, a, like half an hour from Youngstown, Ohio. So it, mm-hmm. where I saw Bigfoot, it's closer to you than it is to me. I'm, okay, I'm down okay. in the center okay. of the state in the bottom, and you're you're like at the center, but you're on the way western edge, or sorry, eastern edge. Is it? No, yeah, you're on the far western edge. So, um, but anyway, there's there's, there's, there's Allegheny Mountains that go up there, and there's 
there's some caverns that come under that, but but the main theory of how they are able to, uh, you know, such a large breeding population of Bigfoot, how they're able to avoid being detected is that they, we think that they travel down underneath the mountain ranges in caverns that go from Maine to Florida. So that's, we, we know, we're fairly certain that they're migratory because the sightings generally tend to shift from, you know, heavy times of the year, like heavy times is, appears like summer to autumn. And then they mm-hmm. kind of trail off and then they get more, more, uh, uh, more sightings further South in the autumn than they do up here because it's the, they've traveled, they follow their food. Um, Okay. But um, uh, so basically, that's 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 the gist of that is that the the bulk of them use a cavern system that, that travels the, the length of the eastern seaboard and probably the western seaboard as well to avoid being caught and seen by humans. Well, oh, but that I could see the western eastern, but to me, now if I'm not mistaken, there's that one mountain range out there in Westmoreland County, Chair Chestnut Hill. Chestnut Ridge, something like that out here, out in Westmoreland. It's not far from where I'm at. And they say that they, um, there's a lot of crypto sightings there, a lot of Bigfoot. But I also want to know um, that, you know, I was always taught, or what I learned from, the guests that we had on show on our show and say some prophecy that Bigfoot, the um, Sasquatch, are also like inner commit uh, like work with the UFOs. So I invest I investigated that, and um, I, I think that they just the UFOs put up a portal and they go through the portal to another dimension. Um, because a lot of stuff that I researched was when a Bigfoot was sighted, um, there was a lot of UFO, UFO activity around in that area. What, what do you think? Uh, I don't believe in that. Um, to be honest with you, um, I've, I've been looking at Bigfoot stuff about the same amount of time as the UFO stuff from, from like the early seventies. Uh, and if, if you look back 40s, 50s, 60s, the Bigfoot reports going on back then, they're very, very few reported being seen with and or near any UFO activity. Sometimes in the same regions as there as heavy UFO activity, but you never see it. You, you didn't see a report where a guy says, oh, by the way, I was out looking for Bigfoot and when I saw a UFO come down and there was Bigfoot too. Very, very rare. So I don't think there's a connection there. I think what happens later on, uh, there, are, there are two... Uh, alien space books out there. One is from the Russians, one is from the Americans, and both have very, very similar information. And within those pages, there is a, a creature that is somewhat Yeti and or Sasquatch-like, a, a, a technologically advanced race. I guess you could akin him to Chewbacca in Star Wars, you know, a okay. primitive-looking creature that utilizes uh, advanced technology. Uh, so these creatures may be being misinterpreted as Bigfoots, and these creatures may have like a cloaking device that they can put on their arm and they can they can hide, bend light around themselves, or they may have a transporter-like technology that they can, um, you know, call their ship, and say, "Hey, Scotty, beam me up." But transdimensional, I, you know, that's that I, I find that to be a little bit of a stretch because the one that I saw, the face is way, way way too human for it to be 
alien. I mean, it just it looked like just a regular old white dude with brown skin and okay. wrinkly, wrinkly. I mean, deep, deep wrinkles in the skin. It had long handlebar. I mean, like you know, I've seen the fireman handlebar mustaches that come down like this. Yeah, had a handlebar mustache like that, and then a you know a long goatee, and you know the forehead was bare, the nose was bare, around the eyes was bare, in between the mustache and goatee was bare. It was so human-like that if it came from another planet, I'd be absolutely shocked. I mean, you could knock me okay. over with a feather at that point. Um, well, how do you think they're? How do you think Bigfoot are um, born? I think they're just like us. They're they're a primate. They may be of Australopithecus or Australopithecine uh, genetic markers or Gigantopithecines, um, which were very very large primates. I mean, we're talking gorillas that are 12, 13 feet tall. Okay. Some Bigfoot get to be about 12, 13 feet tall. On average, I think they're more about like 10, 11 feet tall. But they're just like we have extra tall people in our species. They got extra tones in theirs. Um, I, I don't believe they're trans-dimensional. I don't believe they're technologically advanced. I, I, in fact, think that they're exactly the opposite. I think they're they're extremely um, non-technical at all. I mean, sure, they probably use certain tools to to advance their um, their species and to get food, but they're not. They're they're just primitive, happy creatures that avoid us like the plague on, on purpose. Um, and mm -hmm. I see that, yeah, they are migration. They are migratory. They may not migrate very far, but they are migratory. Um, this evidence is across uh, both eastern and western seaboards. Oh wow, that, that that's that that's great. I I don't know Bigfoot. It impresses me. Okay, where you were saying where you saw yours over at Boardman, okay, Board, Boardman, Ohio. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I go I go gold prospecting over there. <laughs> okay. Well, so you and, can actually go by and see the house. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some more information now after the show. But yeah, it was it was on Applewood Boulevard in Boardman, Ohio, uh, my aunt's house, and I saw the creature's face through the window of a second story window. By the way, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm looking at us as we were playing on this one this one bedroom in the upstairs. We were five or six of us, my cousins and I, were jumping around, bouncing on the beds and making noise, and then I smell this thing like someone's really soiled a diaper. And that's when I saw his face in the window and he saw me and he screamed at me and it put the fear of God into me like you wouldn't believe. I mean, if I if I hear any kind of, you know, alleged recording of a Bigfoot, if, if it doesn't affect me the way that that first scream did, then I know it's fake. OK, that's interesting. My friend Daniel James, he has uh, he, he has recordings of Bigfoot screams in house. So, yeah. but I it's, will tell you it's this. An, it's was, an unusual vocalization. It's almost impossible for our vocal cords to actually emulate it. Exactly. And that's what he was saying too, because I listened to it. And it, you know, takes a lot to creep me out, and, and those creep me out. You know what I mean? And I, I don't creep out too much. Um, but I was done. I have a friend that lives down in West Virginia. It, it makes the little hairs on the back of your neck stand up anyway, yeah, it doesn't does. it? I'll tell you what happened one morning. She lives up like go. You go up a mountain, and there's a big lake there. And she lives around that lake. And um, one morning we were out on her back porch and we were having coffee, right? All of a sudden, dude. Okay, I just heard this massive knock. No lie, it was insane. Nobody was working that day up in the woods. Nobody was around. 
and I just heard that knock go mm -hmm. like, I mean, it was normal. And her and me and her husband, um, we did nothing to provoke it. You know what I mean? It was just like saying, um, okay, I'm here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, would I like to go out on a Bigfoot investigation? I would. I, I wouldn't mind going out. But I tell everybody and a lot of people on this my show know that I am. Um, I'm a city boy. Okay, I don't do woods. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not just the, it's not just the woods. It's the woods at night. So. Just that, oh my! Now see that that'd be crazy. I mean, I mean, I'll go gold prospecting, like at dawn. You know, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. When the sun is just coming up a little bit and it's getting light out, then I'm okay with it. Um, but I quit when it starts getting dark. And I'm like, I, I just got to get out of there. I'm just like, because mm -hmm. it gives me, even in like in the daytime, like around 11 a.m. till about one or two, you know, I get creeped out, dude, because I keep thinking, who's out there watching me? <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, and that, that's that, that, it's weird you say that. Now, I had the exact opposite feeling in Arizona. My parents are living in Arizona. You know, there's no trees. And they, they have a few, but it's not like over here where you can like you can step out your door and walk 20 feet and you're in the woods. There's no woods in Arizona in Phoenix. It's it's just desert. And the whole time I've ever was there, I always felt like something was watching me. Like I'd felt. I felt exposed, you know, like like a like a rodent that comes out from underneath the, the sagebrush, and all of a sudden, you know, that's when the owl finds it, snatches it up. I felt yeah. like there was going to be like this giant bird of prey come flying out of this the night sky at any time because my, my parents wouldn't let me smoke in their house, even though they were smokers at one point. So I'd have to go outside, you know, it's twelve midnight. It it gets disgustingly scary dark out right. in the desert at, at night. And I'm just out there with a cigarette, and I'm like so paranoid. I'm just like, keep looking up in the sky, hoping that this bird doesn't come down and snatch me up and eat me. It's the exact opposite of what you're saying about about how you felt creeped out about being near the woods. It's the exact I felt creeped out about not having the woods to hide underneath. You know, out ah, here so okay, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, I, I think I'd be a, I think I'd be okay walking down the state park on one of them roads. You know what I mean? I think. Mm -hmm. You know that I'm, I'm on a road, a real road, not one of them damn paths and deer paths. And knowing my luck, dude, I'd trip first and I'll be eaten alive. And yeah. I'm not talking about beat, uh, Bigfoot. I'm talking about like, uh, oh, the dog man, for instance. What's your dog opinion man, on yeah. a dog man? Do what now? What's your opinion on the dog? Oh, what's my opinion on the dog? Uh, you know, there are a lot of cryptids out there. There are a lot of cryptids in ancient Egypt mythology. So I don't know. I haven't really looked into into the dogman uh, thing so much. We've done a few shows on it. Um, I think that the Mothman actually has a little bit more, um, a little bit more research behind it. But that's been going on since what the late 50s early 60s um i wouldn't be surprised if there is such a creature just based on the fact that if you look back throughout history we have all these fantastic beasts you've got cyclopses you've got mermaids you've got merman you've got i mean they have horses that are like mermaid you know like a, a horse that's, that lives underwater hippocampus that it's actual physically looks like a horse and has hooves and uh webbed hooves and whatnot uh but there's some basis for some of these creatures uh, you know, they, they think 
historians think now that the, uh, the the story of the Cyclops came from a hill in Greece that this ex the exposed side of this hill has a bunch of uh, woolly mammoth skulls. And the, there's a big hole in the middle of the skull that they thought was the center eye. It's actually where the trunk for the elephant was. Um, they oh, think really? that's the basis for the Cyclops story. But <clears throat> think about all these monsters that we have, you know, just there's millions, hundreds of thousands of different monsters throughout the world. You know, not just Frankenstein monsters. I'm talking, you know, Chimera and you know, Basilisk and go to a D&D &D monster manual. Look up any any monster from that book has some sort of basis in history. We've got uh, gods from Egypt with hawk faces and alligator faces and dog faces. Uh, we, there's a there's an Egyptian god that's green. There's a there's a uh, Indian god who's blue. So it's very possible that there are some creatures out there that may appear to be humanoid dogs or humanoid cats. Uh, you know, um, just not. There's, I just haven't done enough research behind it to really have a solid answer. But something way back when made those pictures. Something made our ancestors make those pictures. Like mm -hmm. the, the alligator. What's what's that? That god in Egypt called I forget Sobek I think the ancient god Sobek who puts an alligator face on a human body you know that's that's right. Stan Lee kind of stuff but they're doing this back you know 2000 BCE putting you know weird animal heads on humans so oh, there's something I to it uh, Johnny Freeman says the problem is people that talk the most never did on the ground research yeah. <laughs> That's true, buddy. Yeah, I that's totally probably very true. Um, I know that for me, like I've been in the paranormal field for over 30 years and had PPS from 2006 to 2022. Um, and it's, it's amazing when what I'm referring to is what Johnny said about, you know, doing never, you know, going on the ground and researching. Um, it, what really bothered me the most about all that was that people would come up to me and say, hey, look at this. I got a ghost. I had, you know what I mean? I got this and I got that. And, I'm, and then, then they, here's the big deal, Jay. I'll have uh, evidence, right? And I'll show somebody, you know, and they knock it down, you know what I mean? It kind of like mm -hmm. kicked me in the teeth, you know, kicked me in the shins and tell me that that's nothing you know stuff like that and i'm like my you know and it really bothered me at the beginning you know because i mean i'm out there trying to get evidence and to show the world just like a brand new paranormal investigator and then i then i learned a lesson not to show people my stuff <laughs> yeah you, um, you gotta know who to show it to <laughs> no yeah and what happened was they um I, I just, and if someone has to say something about it, I say, were you there with me when this situation happened? And they said, yeah. no. And I said, how in the hell can you judge me? Yeah. How can you tell I me saw? what I saw? You weren't even there. Uh, yeah. That, that's, that stuff bothers me a lot. People do that. But also the thing is, is now I have a degree in, uh, in video production with a minor in art history and a minor in uh, still photography. Now, I'm mm -hmm. not Bruce McAbee. I'm not going right. to say I'm going to have any kind of skill as, as Bruce McAbee. But you give me the right technological equipment. I can look at videotape. 
I can look at DVD, I can look at CD, I can look at digital recordings, and I can look at any photograph, especially if you have the negative. I don't care if it's color negative, I'm like black and white negative. If you show me the negative, I guarantee you my skill, I can look into this negative. I can tell you whether it's fake or it's real. Mm-hmm. It's not hard. It really isn't hard to see if there's any kind of you know, tampering being done with a, either a photographic negative or digital artwork, whether it's you know art or video or audio. There are telltale marks of when it's been altered. Because when you record audio, it doesn't matter how many times you record audio. If I record audio all day long at one place, I'm going to have this one acoustic signature on that tape. And I take that same recorder, that same microphone, and that same actor and go to a different building and record the same scene in a different area. Those same recordings are going to look different. And if you put them together, you're going to, there's going to be telltale sign where those two join up. Same with any kind of photograph, same with any kind of, of film, whether it's motion film or still film. You'll see breaks in the film where people have altered it or made changes to it. And there are thousands, perhaps even hundreds of thousands of photographs from the age of photography forward with the UFOs on it. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of evidence to try to debunk. It's almost impossible. Bruce right. McAbee, who I've talked about, he does a lot of, uh, he did some, he did a photographic uh, analysis for the U.S. Navy um, in, in the, you know, in an in a intelligence aspect. I mean, he was looking at things, oh yeah, this is a base for the Russians, this is a base for the Cubans, this is missiles, yeah, he did that kind of work. So he knows what he's talking about. He hasn't really found very many ancient UFO photographs that were fake. And the ones he did fake, you can tell once he said, oh, this is fake, you can tell why it's fake. Because uh, he shows you why it's fake. You can't debunk that that kind of ma- massive material. There's thousands and thousands of photographs, hundreds of thousands of footage, feet of, of footage of UFO motion camera, motion film, video. Uh, mm-hmm. This stuff cannot be suppressed. And no matter how much the U.S. government wants to say that it's not true, you take any of the evidence, ear witness, eyewitness, whistleblower, the photographs and the videos, you take those to the Supreme Court right now, today, and you'd only need one of each, one video, one photo, one whistleblower, one abductee story. You could get a conviction. There's enough evidence on all of these different evidence paths mm-hmm. that it cannot be fake. It's impossible that the, 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 that, that uh, the U.S. government is perpetrating this, this hoax on the U.S. people and making us think that aliens exist and they don't. Right. That's the real trick right there. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're doing. They got everyone convinced it's either fake or it's real. I guarantee you it's real. And I guarantee you that the, the, the stuff that you see that's fake, that's your U.S. government trying to throw in a little bit of confusion. No, they threw a lot of confusion in when they had, when they decided to show all those vid, uh, video clips of all those alien or UFOs, remember? Well, that's, so now that's the U.S. Navy. Interesting mm-hmm. fact, the U.S. Navy seems to be working with a, the good set of aliens, the Anunnaki ones, the ones that approached Eisenhower first. Uh, and then the U.S. Army and Air Force seem to be working with the, the bad aliens, the greys, the reptiles, and the, and the insects. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Admiral Byrd's um, Operation High Jump? Yeah, yes, I do. Some people call that the last battle of World War II because during that uh, that time, this is 1946, we sent a flotilla of about, uh, I think, 40-some-odd planes, I mean, boats, planes, and, and, and uh, Navy men to where now McMurdo Station is on Antarctica, which is the far western edge. And they encountered uh, not only uh, strange disc-like planes that shot their 
boats in half, but there were Messerschmitts, ME-262 jet fighters that came along with uh, some of the Germans towards the end of the war. Uh, so there's, there's a base down there that uh, we are now um, in control of because uh, the way it's working is, is in this, and I don't have any, any concrete evidence on it, but it seems to be that the, the four main races that are, are messing with our planet, three of them are helping out in a bad way and they're helping the army and the air force. The one good race or maybe two good races or maybe two, I don't know. They're working with the U S Navy and there's, there's a lot, seems to be a lot of conflict as to who's in control of our planet, whether it's us, whether it's the aliens that are helping the Navy or whether it's the aliens that are helping the army. And that's, that's really real myth. That's part of the real mystery is who, who really, who's, who's behind the scenes here. Why would you think the Navy's really big in 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 the UFOs? I I mean I was in the Navy for what four and a half four years and thirty days, and um, never really experienced any UFOs back in the eighties. Well, um, so <coughs> the U.S. Navy doesn't really they 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 are at the transitional phase. They they get the USOs becoming UFOs. And they get the UFOs becoming USO. So they're at the transition stage. Uh, but you'd be surprised how much how much information that they have. Uh, so there, what, maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there was all those um, strange uh, creatures, whales and other, other types of, of baleen-type creatures, the ones that make music, the whale song, mm -hmm. were floating up on beaches all over the place. Allegedly, because the the, uh, the United States Navy was was testing a new sound weapon. Well, oh, we have sound weapons. Believe it or not, there are the U.S. Navy and the U.S. Army and probably the Air Force to have sound sonar type weapons. They used them on um, they used them on Saddam Hussein. They used them on um, that that guy in the Iran Contra affair down in Central America. Um, there are devices just like you see on Star Trek called like it's like the sonic blast that can they can kill you with sound. Uh, our Navy's been developing that for some time. Um, and I, I can say a little bit about it now because my father's now passed away. But I asked him one time about it because he was the, the foremost uh, expert on sonar for the U.S. Navy. Uh, is there such a thing as a sonic weapon? And he said, well, let me put it like to you like this. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um I don't know when the sonar, the sonic, the sonic uh, weapons began, but they, they do exist, and you, we've seen some of the uh, uh, aftermath of some of those things going off 20, 30 years ago with those certain types of creatures and, and strange animals from way deep, all of a sudden showing up on our beachheads. Um, but think about it: if you're if you're a group of alien uh, alien races in war at war with each other, and some of your enemies get some friends on this new planet called Earth. What are you going to do? You need friends too, so you're going to find some other friends on that same planet that can help you. So um, I don't know how the Navy got involved with them, and because it seems that alien contact would be something that the, the Air Force would be, you know, the monitor of. But it seems to be that uh, we've got these four different factions of aliens. Two of them are quite, quite, quite bad. Um, mm -hmm. Not really. Don't really have a final opinion on the Greys, but they don't seem to be the ones completely in charge anyway. 
Right. So it seems to be either the, the mantis folk or the or the reptilian folk are actually in charge of that uh, that group of three. But um, as far as I know, and that's again, there's there's so it's 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 word of word of mouth advertising really what we're working on with as as far as some of this evidence, it's just word of mouth that some of the people saying that the, the U.S. Navy's been working with this group for many many decades to try and help the planet and you know. And the Squatsman said that the Army had it first. Um, Army, Army Air Force, yeah, they they were one of the first with the Roswell um, and so on. Um, but but look look at the look at the planet. What is the planet mostly of? The planet is mostly water, right? And you're an alien race. Where do you hide to watch over this planet? Besides the moon, you hide in the water. We just don't. We just don't have the technology to, to chase them down eight miles high down, down below. They, 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 their technology is the fact that they can go all the way to the bottom of Marianas Trench, eight nine miles below sea level, and hang out there and hold their breath for however long. We we just don't have the technology to go down that far. You know, like like getting in your car and driving to the Seven Eleven. We don't we don't have technology where we can just oh let's just go down to the bottom of the ocean real quick and mm -hmm. see what our friends are doing. We we can't get down there. It's too it's too far out of our technological path for us to get down there. And I guarantee you 90% of the stuff that we're missing in our history, we're going to find along the coastlines in, uh, under the ocean. We, we know less than 10% of the land that's on our planet. And 10% of the land is really like 1.3% because the land is only 29, 30% of the, of the planet. So we, we know more about our own moon, which is 500,000 miles away. And we do know about our own planet. Right. So, so think about it. You want to hide, you hide in the ocean. And that's where that's where the Navy comes into effect. Uh, we, we still have boats, uh, decommissioned submarines that have such top secret information to them that you'll never find out all about it. The, the Los Angeles class submarines, we're still using them. They're, they're probably going to be phased out here in the next few years because we got new subs coming out. But their bottom depth is top secret. Still today, I can't know it. I Sean believe can't that know it unless he's unless he's. I like believe that because when I was in the service, these boats were from the seventies. Yeah, oh, 70s. 70s. oh, I was nineteen eighty one. I was in the service, the Navy, and uh, the, the Los Angeles class submarine were 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 developed in the nineteen seventies. Yes, yeah, and, and we're still uh, using but, them. Mm -hmm. And um, so we tendered a lot of the Los Angeles class and. That that was secret, secret. They got the eat good on the boats. Mm -hmm. We called them boats, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, well, you know the difference. You know the defining difference between a boat and a ship, right? But, but. So a boat may float on or under the water. A ship almost always exclusively floats on the water, but is also capable of launching and recovering other vessels, like planes or other oh. boats. Okay. I, I did not know that. Uh, Virginia came up and said, uh, I, I want to think uh, what she wants to know. What do you think of mermaids? I think they probably were at one point a, a an actual probable extraterrestrial creature. And I think that that's probably the same for most other types of creatures. Mermaid, unicorn, cyclops. What are those guys that are half horse, half man? Oh, um, centaurs. Centaurs. Yeah. Something on this planet 
made our ancestors draw those pictures, made us draw that God in Egypt with the green skin or made that, that God with the alligator face or drew that creature that's like part lion and part snake and part eagle, uh, you know, the chimera. Uh, something came up with that. I mean, you don't, like, like, like we said earlier, early, early in the show about, about the, the first language, uh, Sumerian cuneiform, you don't invent language and then the next day you write the Star Wars opera. You know what I'm saying? So you, right. you don't you don't you don't invent artwork and then the very next day create all these hybrid creatures like centaurs and unicorns and fantasy creatures and start playing Dungeons and Dragons. So something has to inspire the artist. And these aren't this isn't art for art's sake. This is this is mythological. We're depicting our gods on our temple walls, and they paint this god with us with the the face of a of a of a bird, or the face of a dog, or the face of an alligator, or a crocodile. That that's a warped, warped, warped sense of 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 style. You don't just come up with that. Someone had to see something that it made them like, well, that's weird. Let me draw that down real quick before I throw up. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Johnny agrees with you on that. He, he definitely agrees. So the, some, something had to inspire the the. And that, like I said, they think that this one hill in Greece with these these uh, skulls of 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 the uh, woolly mammoths, they think that inspired the stories of of the centaurs, or not the centaurs, the cyclopses. But we have stories of giants. We have stories of all these other unique, exotic creatures. They didn't just sprout out out of the ground like like they say the dwarves did. It's something similar to that we saw and we made us, we, we drew it on our cave walls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Virginia and Johnny, yeah. Virginia says there have been sightings and they all, they look alien. And mm -hmm. Johnny says, yes, there has been, I yeah. believe in giants. I see, um, pictures of giants. Now I do not, I know when something's CGI, dude. You know what I mean? I really do. Mm -hmm. And these pictures were not CGI'd. All right. Yeah. And um, and you know what? I look at it like this. And, and the whole thing, be, uh, my, my thought behind everything is, so these animals are out there, these humanoids or whatever they are called are out there. And there is a reason why they are here on Earth. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure there probably was some incidences with these, uh, the men, whatever they are, the um, the uh, cryptos or whatever, monsters, whatever. I'm sure there have been some incidents where people did get hurt. But maybe they're here to teach us lessons. But we have to be totally open-minded about allowing you know this to happen do i see it coming up within the next 20 years no i see it happening further on down i'll be dead you'll be dead okay yeah. when this crap happens but i, I yeah. believe they are here for a reason and if they really wanted to hurt somebody and take over the uh world they would have done it by now you know yeah I mean? and that's the other funny thing is pe people always think that oh you see these movies like uh, and it's great great tv show um uh, falling skies 
it's about an alien invasion and it went for several seven six seven tv seasons great show great premise but i mean let's face it uh <laughs> these creatures have like a star wars level technology and we're only barely at I wouldn't even say we're at Star Trek level technology yet. And, and if you were to put Star Trek versus Star Wars, who was going to win? I have a feeling Star Trek has a little bit tougher material to, to fight mm-hmm. bad guys than Star Wars does. Star Wars, they have blaster guns. Star, Star Trek has the, the photon torpedoes and shields and all this stuff like that. They both have light travel. But think about it. If, if there's an alien race out there or alien races out there watching this planet and i think spock said it best he said they could reach out and swat this this spaceship this planet like it was a fly because they have so much more vast information than we do they could Mm -hmm. introduce a simple virus that kills off the entire planet of one species they could they could introduce a, a, a weapon that destroys all of our technology uh, we know that there's devices out there that turn off electrical devices, elect- EMPs, electromagnetic pulses. We can set them off and, and cripple our enemies. They can do the same thing to us. They've been doing it through the 60s and 70s. They turned off Malmstrom and what was the other one? There's there two two different missile bases they turned off. I mean, literally, oh, wow. they turned off our nuclear deterrent in the 60s and 70s. Malmstrom, U.S. US Air Force Base. Um, they've they've we've taunt they've taunted our fighter jets. We we had there's one. There's several stories where we chase them and they we try to get a lock on them and then our radar starts acting funky. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's actual there's actual some uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but uh, there is a fighter pilot and I think he was in the 50s or 60s went chasing a UFO in an F-89 Saber jet. Um, the the jet came down and he didn't. Let me rephrase that: the wow. jet came down, burned, and he didn't. <laughs> so. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's for them to reach out and, and flick us like a fly is no problem for them. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing it. Now, we're getting pretty close to the end, dude. All right. And you don't know how much I appreciate your knowledge on all this. And I would like to have you back on again, you know, so oh, yeah, we no can problem. talk a little bit more. But um, you you said what the church of Mavis said. You talk a lot about shamanism. Mm-hmm. What what's your what's your thing on shamanism? I think there's definitely something to it. Um, it's one of those things like you know ghosts and goblins, ghost hunting and ghost busting. You know, I, I'm certain that there's something to do with the ghost, but there's no there's no meter, there's no device you can go. Oh yeah, that's a ghost. You know, like in, like in Ghostbusters, the TV shows and the movies, they have those devices that tell them, oh, and they call, oh, here's the ghost, boom, and then they capture it and they put it in, in their, like, their, their containment field. We don't have devices like that, unfortunately. So we can't, we can't quantify the ghost story. We can't quantify the stuff that's intangible that we can't see, um, you know, like, like demonic possession and all that kind of stuff. But shamanism is just, I mean, it, there's a way of communicating that, they, that they're able to, like, I guess, exit their bodies and go into the ethernets and talk to uh, other creatures, including um, aliens and whatnot. Uh, there's alternative ways of healing the human body that they're aware of. Um, and in Western science, actually, at one point, was actually afraid of, like, like things like Reiki and, and, and shamanistic types of, of, of healing methods because uh, I, guess it's, I guess it's only an American thing where we're 
our healers and our pharmacists and uh, pharmaceutical companies, they're out to make money. They could care less if you get better or not. Right. They, they would, in fact, rather you didn't get better so they can keep stringing you along on the drugs they make. You know, it costs them 30 cents to make a thousand pills, but they charge you $500 for it. Think about that. There's a friend of mine right now. Her medicine is $25,000 a month. A month? A month. Ugh. And it's um, it, it's it, it, it's done intravenously, okay? It's mm. like, you know, but $25,000 a month. Dude. I mean, I, I don't even want to get into it. We're having a very awesome show. I want to thank Johnny and Cindy saying it's an amazing show that they had a good time. And I need to give a shout out to my brother, Patrick Kelly, who, who came in. It's good to see you in here, brother. Um, but um, is there anything that you, <laughs> is there, what's your final moments before I, I put you out there, brother, in the green room? Well, we, we've talked about a lot of stuff today. Um, so, and a lot of it, like we said, it's, there's, there's no, there's no real evidence for it. We, we know most of it to be true through, you know, whistleblower commentary and, and eyewitness testimony. Uh, but don't take it. Don't take my word for it. Don't take Sean's word for it. Go out and investigate, go look it up. Most of the stuff mm -hmm. that I know um, either came from a book, a documentary TV show, or an insider whom I, I'm unable to name because it would be bad for them. Um, I'm able to t talk about some of the top secret things that my dad revealed to me, and they weren't many uh, because he's passed away, and there ain't much that the CIA can do against that now. But uh, go out and look. You know, Ferris Bueller said, if you don't get, if you don't, if you don't look around, sometimes you're going to miss things that are going on. Look right. up, look down, look left, look right. And if you don't believe it, have someone else look at it. And have an open, see the same hallucination. <laughs> and have an open mind. You need to have an open mind. You cannot doubt. Never. Because mm -hmm. once, and this is what I tell people when we. When well, we, not necessarily. I mean, you, can, you can come in with a closed mind. I mean, look look at some of the look at some of the closed mind guys we've had to deal with. We had Jay Allen Hynek. Jay Allen Hynek is one of the hugest people in the UFO community. He's the guy that came up with the encounter, the, the, the close encounters of the first, fifth, third, fourth kind. He came up with those numbers. He went into this when he started in Project Blue Book as an absolute skeptic. His his entire uh, treatise of, of UFOs back then was, oh, it's, it's absolute BS, bunk, can't be real, no way, no way, no way, no way. And then towards the end of his career, he was the exact opposite. The Condon Report, the guy who did the Condon Report, same thing. He was paid to make a contradictory thing to debunk UFOs. And after his three or four or five-year thing, he still produced a paper that was in the negative, but he was on the other side of that negative at that oh, point. Okay. So come in with okay. any kind of you know mindset you want. You're gonna you're gonna flip. It's gonna open up to one way or the other. Well, I got I got ghosts down now. I got demons, you know, down. You know, I'm but I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for the time that I, I want to see a UFO. I want to see an alien. I want to see a Bigfoot. I want to see a dog. But Jay, thank you for being on the show. Um, I really had a good time. Um, Virginia says great show. Everybody, this is the most conversation 
um, that we had in a very long time. And dude, you mean the world to me, brother. I appreciate coming on. Okay. You there? He froze. Okay. So Jay has frozen. All right. Um, that's okay. But uh, again, everybody, we had a great show tonight. Um, Jay, my friend, he, he shared a lot of stuff tonight, and um, I, I, I enjoyed it. it. It was a very, very, very interesting show. Um, so children, please, if you can, go to your parents and give them a hug and tell them that you love them. <laughs> Today has been abducted. LOL. <laughs> um, and parents, please, if you can, go to your children and tell them that you love them. And if you don't have no parents, if you don't have no no children, find somebody. Honestly, find somebody to um, hug. And tell them that you love them. If you see a person going crazy, not going crazy, but if you know they're not in a room, thank you, May, appreciate it. Uh, if you see somebody that's having a hard time, go over and sit with them. You don't have to talk, just sit with them. Because um, October is Depression Awareness Month. Again, I want to thank Jay for being here. Uh, those three words, I love you, go a long way. And until next week, next Tuesday, happy hunting. And uh, please, please, everybody, please stay safe, you know. And again, give people a hug. I like hugs. And thank you for the virtual hug. All right, good night, Virginia. Good night, Johnny. Good night, Sebastian. Good night, May. And there's Matt. Okay, so I got a message from Jay. He said, and there's Mercury in retrograde. His uh, computer just screwed up. <laughs> and we'll see you next week too, Cindy. Oh, my cards. That's right. I'm sorry. I got a couple minutes for cards. I'm going to go. Hang around, everybody. Hang around because I'm. Oh, he's trying to get back in. Okay. All right. All right. So I'm shuffling the cards, and I'm giving you three cards tonight. Your past, your now, and your future. And I want you to write these down, and please Google the cards, uh, the animals that I do pick for you. And hopefully you, you will have a good read, not a good, a good reading. Um, and there's a reason why these animals are chosen for everybody. So if it don't pertain to you, then that's okay. Come back next week. I'll draw three more. Um, so the first one, this is the now. I meant the past. Okay. Don't forget, write it down. The spider. That's your past card. The now card right now, what you're in, is, well, it's the links.
Oh, Jay said that his Wi-Fi is down. That's crazy. Uh, I don't know. It was a good show tonight. And the future card, okay, is the fox, okay? So we have the uh, spider in your past. You have the lynx as the noun. And then you have the fox, which is your future, okay? So everybody, please write those, write those down. Google them you know, as totems, and you'll get your answer. Your, maybe the reading might be right for you. Maybe it won't be right. Who, who knows what's going to happen, but please do that. And then on that note, I will definitely see you next Tuesday, 8 o'clock to 10 p.m. Um, on UPRN Talk Radio 105.3 New Orleans, 107.7 Mississippi. And on that night, uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And everybody, please have a great night, great week. See you next week. Happy hunting and all that good stuff. Um, hold on. Oh, boy. Hit the wrong button. And on that note, let me get out of here. <laughs>